0: Thank you very much for your welcome. I'm sorry, I'm just getting used to this thing. (coughs) It feels very odd, I have to say. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Uh, It's good to welcome uh, visitors from other churches to Court Farm this evening as well. I don't know the difference between those of you who are visitors and those who regularly come here, but I do recognise a few familiar faces, so uh, it's good to welcome you all, and thank you very much for inviting me, John. Now, will you please turn? uh, We're going to have a reading... From the prophecy of Habakkuk at the end, near the end of the Old Testament. Uh, Well, John, at about half past six, according to that clock, said, "Well, there may be a few more people coming." Actually, the clock is wrong; it's about ten minutes too slow. So, but I'm going to go by that clock. All right, it's easier to go by that clock than my than my watch. Uh, we're going to read part of this short prophecy together. We're going to read a little bit of chapter one and then the whole of chapter three. Uh, Shall we have a word of prayer, please, as we just read the scripture together? Father, we do submit ourselves to you again. We don't know what you would accomplish among us, but we do pray that you, we want to give you, as it were, the permission The cooperation that you're looking for, that as we read your word and as we consider it this evening, that you would have your way with us, we pray. Be our head. We stand by faith under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ this evening. Amen. Amen. The first four verses of Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing. And conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore, justice comes out perverted. And then over to chapter three a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him. Pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient Hills sink down. His path, his pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Cushan in distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. <clears throat> are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the rivers? Or is your rage against the sea? When you ride on your horses your victorious chariot, you took the sheath from your bow. The arrows are ready to be used with an oath. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence. At the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the great waters. I heard and I trembled within, my lips quivered at the sound, rottenness entered my bones, I trembled where I stood. Now I must wait quietly for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stores, yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights." for the choir director on stringed instruments. I finished meditating and studying this prophecy of Habakkuk sometime at the end of last year and I personally feel it is the most relevant book for our day Uh, So what you're going to get, I'm not going to cover everything by any means, but you're just going to get some little snippets of what I was considering, uh, and I will endeavour to make that as palatable, as relevant uh, to you as I possibly can. I stopped on the way over here because I had a few minutes, uh, and I just jotted down... Uh, a number of things and you'd be pleased to know they all begin with R so if you're the kind of person who likes um, that kind of thing to help you to remember the various points of the of the address then that's good you've got them all beginning with R now that's the good news the bad news is that there were about nine of them All right, so I really, I'm just looking to the Lord just to know uh, which of these various things uh, to look at. But just a bit of background first of all. This prophecy was written between 605 BC and 625 before the invasion of Judah by Babylon. And during this time, Babylon was beginning to emerge as a world superpower. Having said that, probably the majority of the people of God in Judah uh, and Habakkuk's own preoccupation was not with Babylon. You know, what was happening out there was a bit of an irrelevance to start off with. And we can be like that. You know, what happens elsewhere in the world we think actually doesn't concern me, and so we switch off because we're really preoccupied with what is going on now. Well, what is going on now here in Judah? And this is, what, uh, this is how he begins. So the situation begins with, and here's your first, er, first R, a realisation of the situation and uh, he in those first four verses talks of a number of things so he begins "O lord how long shall i cry and you will not hear i'm reading two different versions the one i read to you was from the holman Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, as it is now called. There's some few slight differences I read from the Holman, and I'm looking at the authorised version as well. I'm reading from the authorised now. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry to you of violence? And there are a number of things here that, that, uh, that Habakkuk focuses on. And the first thing is violence. And that word in the original language means an oppressing, um, uh, a, a sharpness, a doing of what is wrong violence, Uh, and really I don't think you need me to kind of give you too many examples this. The the word really has to do with vehemence. I mean, just think of the escalating threats that we are seeing in our own society, never mind the world outside, whether they're on social media, so-called if you know about that. If you don't know about it, don't worry about it, but it's going on. Uh, The kind of reaction that, uh, that, that there is in, uh, in public to various protests. So a few people um, put on a display in Walthamstow about abortion and the violent, the vehement reaction that comes as a result of that. This is what Habakkuk is talking about. You know, it seems as though we cannot disagree agreeably. There's a strength in our reaction and we take our positions and we can't kind of debate, we can't try and see another's point of view. Well, I could give you lots of other uh, examples. I'm sure you can think of them yourself. And then he goes on to say, why do you show me, in verse three, why do you show me iniquity? And that word really means uh, wickedness. Of course, it's to do, it's it's the It's the innate bent that is in the human heart to sin. That is what iniquity is. Will you notice that Habakkuk is saying, Lord, why do you show me this? Now, friends, he's not saying, why do I read it in the papers? Are you understanding what I'm trying to say? You know, These things are there, but God was showing him. If I may, I want to begin by asking you this question, really. Are you realising the depths of the situation, the seriousness of the situation with which we find ourselves in this country? You may realise certain things going on. And as we go through these things, I'm sure you'll say, yes, Simon, I agree with you. But it's one thing for us to read the papers or see them on television and, and say, oh dear, dear, that's terrible. But when God begins to give us his perspective on things, then we see really the depths of the situation that we're in. And I suggest to you that these things are very serious. And God was showing Habakkuk what was going on in Judah. And I think they're very relevant to us as well. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, iniquity in verse 3. Uh, Especially to do with idolatry, this word is to do with, of which there is plenty in our own country. And then the authorized version says, Why do you cause me to behold grievance? And that word there means a, a, like a wearing effort, a toil, an adversity and really the kind of things that that some people are experiencing in the whole realm of employment i mean whether it's college university or in the workplace you know some people you know you can't get a, you can't go back home and forget your job you'd have to take it with you holidays don't exist i have a son who can never switch off from his responsibilities as far as work is concerned a holiday he can never you can never completely have a break. That's the kind of thing that is, that is being spoken about here. And then it goes on to say, For spoiling and violence are before me. The spoiling, this is to do with ravage. Well, you live in London. Increase of knife crime, just for example. And violence, there's the same word again, we won't cover it again, are before me. And there are those who raise up strife. That word means a, a contesting of things. And it's a little bit like what we were looking at, at before, really. There's a, there's a personal animosity. And if you don't like something or if somebody offends you, you take them to court. You sue them. Violence, strife. <coughs> But it doesn't have to be just legal, it's strife within the family. Uh, This, remember, was, I was considering this before December. And think of the strife that was going on in our government, the contesting that was going on over the whole matter of whether or not we should leave the EU and how. Uh, In family situations, think of our royal family and all that they're going through at the minute. And then it goes on to say, there are those that raise up strife and contention. And that word uh, <clears throat> also, it's the same sort of idea really, so we won't cover that again. But verse 4 proceeds from this. It says, therefore the law is slacked. It means that it's saying this, the law seems weak, it's unable to effect. the the righteousness of God that of course happened during the last parliament when the law lords um, certain of them overturned what the what parliament was seeking to do I'm not trying to make a political point all I'm saying is the law is weak And there are much more recent examples of this which are are really coming to the the fore. The law is slack. Judgment and justice doesn't seem to happen. And where there is a judgment, it seems to be twisted. And the the very forces of justice and righteousness uh, don't seem to be effective. When, for example, our police usher in people from that organisation called Extinction Rebellion and basically just cooperate with them and give them the, the, the wherewithal to go into a university college in Cambridge and uh, then just enable the roads to be blocked off, etc. I mean, these, are, these people are... Well, the name says it all, doesn't it? Rebellion. It's utterly rebellious. But instead of that rebellion being dealt with and controlled and contained, it's just allowed to carry on. Friends, the very forces of law and order are under shaking, are under attack. Now, friends, having said all that, the fact that now there's been, out of the mercy of God, such a change uh, in Parliament and the opportunity for Brexit, which I am of the conviction that it's of the mercy of god that this is gonna, that this has happened uh, that of itself will not deal with the situation this is the situation that we face today as well as habakkuk facing it in judah let's read on in verse four the wicked surrounds the righteous and therefore wrong judgment proceeds and that we have seen examples of Now, friends, do you realise the seriousness of the situation? That was the first kind of point I was trying to raise. Uh, Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Just look at verse 2 a minute. This begins with a cry. God, having shown Habakkuk this, he says, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry? And this is the first of a number of questions that Habakkuk asks God. Basically the three chapters of which we've just read a little bit of chapter one, and we're going to jump in a minute to chapter three, are basically a dialogue between the Lord and Habakkuk. And Habakkuk responds to the Lord with a question, and he says, Lord, how long have I got to go on crying about these things? And I want to bring, it's a bit of a digression, an encouragement to you. I don't know what gets to you. It may be a family situation. It may be something within the nation. It may be something within your church. It may be something that's happening to a friend of yours. I don't know. But friends, go on crying to the Lord. God will answer you as he answered Habakkuk it should take a it should be an enormous encouragement to you that that habakkuk says lord how long am i going to cry out to you and you will not hear yet yeah, god doesn't seem to hear and yet he is hearing and he's about to show habakkuk certain things he's about to show habakkuk what he's doing he's about to show habakkuk the answer and he's going to show habakkuk what he's going to do in the future and it And the whole prophecy ends with the most tremendous encouragement. So, please, you know, part of the purpose of my looking at this is to give you the encouragement. You may not feel God is hearing, but He is. Go on crying to Him, go on speaking to Him about the things that really concern you, but get His perspective, won't you? Ask Him to show you how He sees the situation so that you're not just praying and crying to God out of the way that you see things. All these things, I think, are very important. Well, God's answer is in verse 5. And God shows Habakkuk that that country, that city that is sort of emerging, beginning to emerge as a world superpower, that city, Babylon, God is going to bring... And Habakkuk is contemporary with Jeremiah. If you know your scriptures, Jeremiah is, is again at this time as well and covering the same period of history. God is going to bring Babylon to deal with the very things in those first four verses in Judah. And far from God Rescuing Judah out of these things, God actually says to Habakkuk, "Habakkuk, I'm going to use the Babylonians, that idolatrous nation." And you can look at a description of them from verse five to eleven. I encourage you to read it sometime. Please don't do it now, otherwise I will be speaking into thin air. But you'll see what God says about them, and God and God is going. God is showing Habakkuk he's going to use this people, this idolatrous people, to deal with the very things in Judah. How does this apply to our own country? Can I pose the question? What if God allows things to come and overtake our own country in order to deal with the wickedness? I will quote to you. I'm not saying whether he was right or wrong. But a very eminent pastor and Bible teacher, and if I gave you his name, you would, many of you would recognise the name, and he's written a book uh, some years ago now called "The Challenge of Islam to Christians," and it was his prophecy, and I think if I remember right, he couched it in prophetic terms that God was going to allow Islam to overtake the country because of the weakness of the church. Is he right or wrong? I don't know. But if he is right, it's the same principle that God is going to take something else and, and let it come into the country. Why? Because Islam is more righteous than, than, than the country is. <laughs> do you realise the situation? That's the question I posed, first of all. The second realisation I want to ask you is, do you realise the nature of God? That he is a God who is judging today. Now friends, these are serious things, aren't they? That's what, the, that's what the prophecy is here for us to consider. I don't know whether he's right. But I do know that there is another vicious element that has emerged in our society over the last little while. It begins with L and it ends with Q and there are two letters in between. And that is increasingly militant and increasingly strident. There are other uh, militant and rebellious forces in our country as well. I don't know whether the Lord will use any of these things. We will have to wait and see. But friends, uh, we do need to realize that God is a God of judgment and his judgment is righteous. Well, there's the first R. Eight more to go right we won't cover them all if you're worried about the time don't worry about it the second one reassurance reassurance the word Habakkuk means loves embrace loves embrace and in everything that God shows Habakkuk he's underlining the fact through the meaning of his name that God loves his servant. And that in all that God is going to show him, and the anguish of his heart, and the questions that he has, that God is that God is embracing him. An embrace is indicative of reassurance, isn't it? Somebody needs reassurance, what do you do? You put your arm around them, don't you? And you say, it'll be all right. An embrace is to do with protection. An embrace is to do with closeness. And here's the Lord saying, I'm reassuring you, I'm going to protect you, and I'm close. And God is not only saying that to Habakkuk, Through Habakkuk, he's in fact saying it to the country. Despite what they were doing, despite their their, their turning away from the Lord, God was saying, I'm not going to let this people go. I will fulfill my purposes for them. Because I'm putting it in New Testament terms now. I have sent my son to die for Everybody. Because it is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And looking back a few centuries to us, but it's like a day to the Lord. There were those martyrs who gave their lives for this country. And I would think it could well be because of the blood of the martyrs. If God has mercy upon our own country... It could well be because of the blood of the martyrs that God, rem- God remembers them and will not forsake us. God has not abandoned this country. Nor, thank God, has he abandoned us as his people. Now, are you reassured about that? Do you believe it? John does. But then he's the kind of person who always says, I you may be a bit more of a Brit than he is, and you're just sitting there. Maybe, but you, you know, understandably, you need to mull these things over. But it's very important that we that we think about these things. So, how are we going to respond? Uh, respond, response number three. Habakkuk chapter three. How are we going to respond? We may touch on parts of chapter two as well. And there's another question that Habakkuk asks God in chapter one, which we haven't, I'm afraid, got time to look at, but you'll find that in verse 12. And part of the answer that God gives is a further description of Habakkuk of um, Babylon. So chapter three begins like this: "A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet." Our response is to pray. Our response is to be in the presence of God. That is where we begin to see things from His point of view. Look at chapter two, please. A key scriptures in this dialogue between the Lord and Habakkuk. I will stand upon my watch. Habakkuk went into the place of watching, into the into the watchtower. Really, the place where he could have a perspective on things, a place where he could could view things as God sees them. But not only a place of seeing, it says, I will watch to see what he will say unto me, actually, quite literally, what he will say in me. Now, friends, he's a prophet, so God can bring his word into him. But doesn't it also say in the terms of the new covenant, I will give my laws, I will put my laws, literally I will give my laws into their hearts and into their minds. Friends, the word of the Lord can come to you. He can bring his word to you. If you are in the presence of God, if you are in the place of watching, God can put some things to you as well. It may be a scripture that you read that is that is highlighted for, for you because of the quickening of the Spirit of God. It is part of the wonderful thing that the Spirit of God does is to take the written page and make it live. It's a bit like a sort of cheap example. It's it's the difference between coffee beans and a cup of coffee. If I say to you, would you like a cup of coffee and I give you a cup with a bit of nescafe at the bottom you'd say well thanks very much but that's not very uh, yuck it's not very tasty i can't handle it no you want the thing with water and milk and probably one sugar (laughs) the scripture is like the coffee beans it's uh it's without the water the water came first of all. The Spirit of God inspired it. But it's not there. Anybody can read it. And it'll do you no good at all. It'll do you as much good as, as, as eating coffee beans. But when the Holy Spirit takes it, you can drink it. You can take it in. I hope that's a helpful that analogy. It's not original, but I think it's helpful. What he will say in me, the Lord can speak to you as well. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. Uh, what? Ha- basically, he's he's looking to the Lord to help him to respond to the situation. And every one of us needs that. Friends, if you and I are going to respond rightly as the church of God in this country, we need to look to the Lord. We need to be in the place of prayer. We need to be in a place where God can show us how to begin to handle the situation uh, which we find ourselves in these days. It has not taken God by surprise. And God can help us to respond. Thank God. We need a uh, verse, uh, let's go on in chapter, in chapter 2. <clears> or <throat> oh, have I got the wrong, the wrong verse here? <laughs> uh, chapter 3. Sorry, just let me have a quick uh, quick look here. Uh, <clears throat> receive what God says i put here. Verse 4. Yes, I, Lord, I've heard your speech. Verse, verse 2. So uh, <clears throat> we'll come to verse 3 in a minute. But the prayer begins by Habakkuk saying, Lord, I've heard what you are saying. And friends, there's a desperate need for the people of God to hear what the Lord is saying and to receive it (coughs) into our hearts. And he says, I've heard your speech and was afraid. And there's certainly a need for a restoration of the fear of God in our churches, let alone within the nation. Now friends, what are we going to pray for? I felt the confirmation of what to bring to you this evening actually came from part of John's prayer in the way that he led. (coughs) Because you see, (coughs) what we are to pray here, it says, oh Lord, revive your work. Lord, revive your work. The trouble is there is such a big misunderstanding and confusion and difference of opinion about what reviving the work of God really means. <laughs> but I'm going to read you the margin of the authorised version, the AV, which says this. Preserve alive the work of God. Preserve alive. <clears throat> Revive does not mean give it new life, it does not mean have new spiritual experiences. It doesn't. And the trouble is, there are some who are seeking for novel spiritual experiences as the answer to the situation. And they're saying, this is what God is saying. Let me tell you something, he is not saying that. Uh, And I can be categorical about it. You're at liberty to disagree with me, but let me give you another example of exactly the same principle that comes from the scripture. It's a time when Elisha was with the, um, his brothers, the sons of the prophets, and they had said, Elisha, we need a bigger place. Can I put it like this? Lord, we want to have bigger meetings. We want to have more glory time. We want to have, uh, we want to have more impact in society. That kind of thing, all right? Uh, and one of them says, Elisha, please go with us. It's a shame the rest of them didn't, but that's just like us. Uh, we, are, you know, we want to have the, the enlargement and the expansion but actually we're not uh, willing to have the prayer time that says God we need you to go with us if you don't go with us nothing's going to happen and as these people were, were building something <coughs> and there's much that's being built in the name of the Lord these days as, as this thing was being built uh, and you know uh, well it describes what, what they were doing they were cutting down logs cutting down trees in order to build this building and as somebody was cutting down this tree how do you cut down a tree with an axe and so he took his axe and he went donk and the axe head flew off into the river jordan and sank now what he could have done as a result of that he could have said i've lost my ability to be effective I can't build anything else I've lost it what I need to do is to go to the axe shop which you'll find just on the corner of the River Jordan and get a new axe from there and that's like some people are saying in the church these days what you need is something new we've lost what we had before we knew what a move of God used to be we need something novel we need something fresh so we're going to get a new one no that is not what happened he cried out, alas, to Elisha, who represents the Lord, and said, the axe head has sunk. It was borrowed. It's not mine. And that's the tragedy of it. And, but he had a realization that his ability to cut down those trees and to build did not come from him. It was nothing that he could buy. It was nothing that he could work up. It was borrowed. Can I put it like this? It came from God. That's the principle. The, the, the wherewithal to be effective in your Christian life and to be serving the Lord comes from God. And that's why the story is so important. You see, the story is about the recovery of that lost axe head. And Elisha was involved, and you'll have to look at it yourself in the second book of Kings, chapter 6. You'll have to see what he does in order to cause that axe head, which is made of iron, to come back to the surface and be taken up. Friend, friends in the plural, we need iron in our soul again. We need iron to Give us the strength in the work of God to do the work of God. And it needs to be recovered. And in a lot of places and in a lot of our, our lives, it's lost. That is what Habakkuk is speaking about here in another way of saying it. He's saying, recover it. Recover what? The work of God. It says, revive your work. It doesn't say revive our great Programs. He doesn't say revive our great uh, initiatives or whatever. He's saying revive your work. Now, can I make it very personal to you and to me? Friend, I don't know whether you've lost something. I don't know whether your love for the Lord has grown cold. I don't know whether in the face of all that the Lord may be doing in you, around you, or maybe what the Lord is showing you, that there's a kind of flatness in your life. And the Lord is wanting to speak to you. And one of the things you need to pray in response is Lord, revive me. Lord, please preserve your work in my life. Don't let that be lost. And he goes on. Uh, <clears throat> in the midst of in the midst of the years, <clears throat> basically what he's saying is, however long it takes, make yourself known and then these marvellous words in wrath remember mercy do you see the relevance of all this to what we were looking at in chapter one god is going to bring the babylonians it's going to be an expression of the wrath and the anger and the judgment of god how are we to pray in the face of this if we are to see it if we see it i'm not telling you how it will happen but if you have eyes to see, we're beginning to see something of the anger of God. Or at the very least, the lack of God's protection of us. That's why some of these things are so militant and that's why they're being so effective. It's not that God has abdicated, no. He's allowed it to happen. How are we to pray? In wrath, remember mercy. But friends, are you praying that? Or are you are you? Looking at the situation, they are. Oh, well, it's just one of those things. You know, I can't help it if people behave like that. Does it bother you? What is happening to our children? Does it bother you the kind of programmes, the kind of philosophies that are being that are being um, dreamed up? Does it Does it affect you? In wrath, remember mercy we're asking the Lord to revive his work, to keep it alive, to restore it. So that is our response. uh, That's the first thing by way of uh, of a response. The second thing we need to have by way of a response is a fresh vision of God. And in chapter 3, the tone of it completely changes and instead of being now a prayer in that prayer there is then a vision and it depends on the translation you've got but really a lot of the rest of the chapter and I can only touch on a few things um, really but a lot of it is referring to what God did in the past so let me give you um, an example I, my eyes look at Verse 7, well look verse verse 3, for example. Verse 3, Sinai, God came from Timan and the Holy One from Mount Paran. So the first vision, as it were, the first part of this vision, he he remembers that God came down at Sinai to give the Ten Commandments. There may even be a reference to that in chap in verse 4, that his brightness was as the light, and he had rays the new american standard says he had rays um, coming out of his hand the two tablets of stone possibly i suggest to you it could be and there was the hiding of his power go on to verse verse seven i saw the tents of kushan in affliction and the curtains of the land of midian did tremble when did that happen judges chapter six And there are a number of other events. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. Do you remember when that happened? If you don't, read the book of Joshua. It's there. At the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. And certainly one of the things that it says about the Lord is how he went through the, the Red Sea in front of his people. Look at verse 15. You did walk... Through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. Friends, I love this. Absolutely love it. God was in no hurry going through the Red Sea. I mean, wouldn't you have thought he would have been? I certainly would do. I mean, if I was the Lord going through the Red Sea and the waters are, you know, on either side of me. Like this, I think the sooner I'm out of here, the better. (laughs) But the Lord is in no hurry. And friends, no matter what he may cause you to go through and us to go through in order to bring us into his purposes, he is in no hurry. The marvellous thing is he is going through it. He is going with us. He's going ahead of us. And he's going, it says, with your horses through the heap of great waters, stirring up the great waters. Actually, the word there, uh, looking it up, is actually to do with, it actually means like a mire or a clay. I think this is, again, it's tremendous. I mean, I haven't sort of been on the, on the um, seabed of an ocean or a sea, just wondering when I last went anywhere near it. So I can't think, really. But I would imagine, it. you know, if you were to put your foot on the seabed, I should think you'd probably sink, wouldn't you? I mean, I, it's not going to be very firm. And so it says here that God went through the mire, God went through the clay, quite literally. The people of God went through naturally. They would have sunk. And didn't the Egyptians do just that? Why did the Egyptians sink with their chariots? Was it just the fact that they were going in chariots rather than walking? No, it wasn't. It's the fact that we read in the Psalms that God, uh, uh, in, in the book of Exodus, I beg your pardon, chapter 15 and verse 19, let me just read that to you. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 19. The horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So friends, do you see what happened? God made that that in which they should have sunk absolutely firm under their feet. I think this is tremendous. And it's this vision that Habakkuk sees and it's there to encourage him and to remind him that no matter what the country has to go through, no matter what he himself is going to go through, God is able to give him a firm footing if you like. Now it depends on which translation you've got but the authorised and others say God came in the past tense so it's as if God is saying to Habakkuk I'm reminding you of all that the Lord has done but actually New American Standard and the Christian Standard Bible just to give you but two, put the whole thing into the present tense I'm not a Hebrew scholar I don't know but let's take both I've considered the past. What about this present tense? The whole thing suddenly becomes real to God. What is the Lord saying? Our response needs to be that we have a vision of who the Lord is now and what he can do now, such that even uh, if, uh, if there is relevance to the things that God did in the past, it's as if they're happening now. They're happening today. The sun can still stand still. God can still deal with the Midianites. God can still deal with the Red Sea. Whatever, whatever the issues, whatever the problems, the Lord can take us through them. <clears throat> Friends, the next remember, which I've sort of done really, I don't know whether it's number four or five. We need to remember what God has done. And we need to remember that God can save. Let's move on to verse, <clears throat> verse 12. You march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. God is still in the business of doing that. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. You come out, verse 13, you come out to save your people. The authorised version, you went forth for the saving of your people, even for the salvation of your anointed. God is saying to Habakkuk, I will save the people. Hallelujah. And if, if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. And your situation, whilst of not of this magnitude or not of this type, but if you're going through and saying, Lord, how long have I got to pray about this? How long am I going to go through this? How long am I going to witness this? The Lord's saying, I'm going to go forth for your salvation. I will deal with this. You can take encouragement from it. And it goes on to say, Uh, you wound the head out of the house of the wickedness out of the house of the wicked by exposing the foundation to the neck you know one of the lord's strategies is is to expose the the foundation of wickedness for what it is and that's something i think actually else we can pray that the lord would really bring some of these things out into the open (coughs) <coughs> verse 14 you pierce his head with his own spears his um, his warriors storm out to scatter us gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak you tread the sea with your horses stirring up the great waters that's the end of the vision <coughs> Habakkuk responds I heard and I trembled within actually just going back to verse 15 you did walk through Uh, the sea with your horses it's the same word actually that you find a little bit later on in verse 19 for treading treading down it's as if the lord says i will tread on this there it's under my feet i'll refer to that as we begin to conclude as we begin to conclude a little bit later on i heard and i trembled within my uh, rottenness entered my bones i trembled where i stood Friends, there are four things we need to do, also beginning with R, but really in a way as a kind of the lesson, that the lessons that Habakkuk learnt in this. The first one is to rest. Now, given the fact that God is showing Habakkuk what is going to happen, what do you think he should do about it apart from pray? May I suggest if it was me or you, one possibility, panic. Another possibility, utter discouragement. Uh, third possibility, close the front door, draw the curtains, bury your head and wait until it's all over. Right? No. This is, this is what happens. <coughs> Verse 16. At the end of verse 16, now I must quietly wait for the day of distress. I must quietly, or the authorised version, that I might rest, that I might rest in the day of trouble. Friends, the Lord is saying that we will have to wait. Things may well get worse. But don't panic. Don't be depressed. The Lord is in control of everything rest in the day of trouble what a lesson as the people of God we have to do we have to learn the scripture speaks much about rest doesn't it but here it's speaking about resting in the day of trouble now I have to confess to you if there's trouble I don't find it easy to rest and perhaps I'm not unique that's true for us all but there is a rest in the middle of such trouble God can give it to you uh, and God is showing Habakkuk these things in order that he might come into that rest that is why we have the prophecy that is why God shows him these things and if you wait on the Lord if you stand upon your watch etc chapter 2 first four four verses God will speak to you in such a way to give you that rest and so that even when the distress comes and the judgment is around you you can be at peace rest is the first thing the next thing we need to do uh, the next lesson that Habakkuk learned is to rejoice verse 18 yet I will rejoice in the Lord uh, despite everything being taken away and stripped from him despite the fact that the harvest is not going to be there despite the fact that um the the flocks aren't going to be around you know that despite the fact that agriculturally and in every possible way economically things are collapsing around about him he says i will rejoice in the lord may god help us to do that but friends in the meantime let's look to the lord for his blessing the fig tree should be blossoming There should be fruit on the vine. There should be the olive producing the fruit. There should be the food, the flocks, etc. These things, I believe, have spiritual significance for the church of God. I'll leave that with you to think about. But rejoice in the God of your salvation. Are you doing that? Would you please notice that little word, my? It says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk, because of what the Lord had shown him... The salvation had become his. God was the God of his salvation. And that's what the Lord wants for every one of us. May God help us to do that. So that's the next uh, R. And the next R, um, the next lesson that that, um, Habakkuk had to learn was to draw on the resources of God. He says in verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. Actually, that little phrase, God is uh, God of my salvation and the Lord is my strength, comes a number of other times in the scripture. Uh, let me give you just one for example. If you're a Bible student, you can just look at this for yourself. Um, uh, let me read Isaiah chapter 12. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength. So the God becoming our salvation and the Lord being our strength are very much linked. Uh, Therefore, Isaiah says, with joy shall you draw water. Um, Sorry, before that, he has also become my salvation. It's one thing for us to say, yes, Lord, you're my salvation, but he needs to become our salvation. This is an experiential thing. That's the lesson of Habakkuk so in verse 19 the Lord God is my strength now there are a number of words in the Hebrew for strength here the word means a, um, a wealth of it, it's a plural word it means a wealth basically of a number of things means, resources, people, whatever and so here's the Lord saying effectively draw on my resources the Lord is your resources <laughs> he can give you Any means at his disposal and that you need to live through these difficult days. That's what he's saying. And Habakkuk is saying, the Lord is my strength. Draw on the resources of God, my dear friends. Draw on the resources of God. Rest, rejoice, resources, and finally. And I do mean finally. Rock climbing. I couldn't think of another word, but it just did begin with R. He sang, verse 19, He will make my feet like the feet of hinds' feet, and He will make me to tread on my high places. As the Lord walked through that Red Sea, treading on it, if you like, He can enable you to tread on your high places. What are those high places? Your difficulties, your problems, the thing that looms so large, the things, I can't do that, I can't accomplish that. The Lord says, I can cause you to walk, to tread on those high places. Have you ever seen one of those um, you know, nature programs or whatever, You know, David Attenborough et al. YouTube, you can find it on YouTube, of a kind of mountain goat. And on a cliff edge, it's like this. It's he's not worried about it in the slightest bit. It's just there and it's just picking away at the, um, at the grass and whatever um, food there is on these rocks. And you're looking at this thing thinking, oh, get off that thing. <laughs> I think somebody told me, I don't know whether this is right or wrong, but actually part of the reason they're on those high places is that's the safest place for them to have their young. Friends, God knows the safest place for you to produce something for God and you can be like that mountain goat and God can give you feet like hinds feet. Well, those are some of the R's. Those are some of the lessons from this prophecy of Habakkuk. May the Lord enable us in these difficult days, challenging days, opportune days, May the Lord help us to realise the days that we're in from his point of view. May the Lord help us to see that he's not just a God of love. He's also a God who brings judgment. He's a God who shakes. He is a God who is able to work out his purposes. May God help us as the church of God in the country to respond to these days, to begin to see what God is doing. It may be that judgment isn't the only thing. It may be you know, there are other aspects. I'm just bringing you the principles. <clears throat> and as we have these questions of God, may God enable us to answer, uh, may God enable us to bring the questions and to argue with God and to pour out our hearts to the Lord. May God deliver us from just empty, dry Christianity that just goes through the motions without engaging with what God is doing. And may the Lord cause every one of you here this evening to realise his embrace, to be reassured by it, so that no matter what we go through, you know that God is there and he is a God of love and he will fulfil his purposes. John, you may now say amen. And I trust that he's not the only one. Trust we can all say that. Let's pray, please. Dearest Lord, we just want to confess to you that we so little see things from your point of view, and we do want to say we're so sorry, but we thank you for this marvelous prophecy. which encourages us to seek you, encourages us to have, have those questions that we can bring to you and teaches us to remember the kind of God that you are, that you are not a God of just history, that you're a God of today. Lord, please bring us every one of us here, into that rest in a day of trouble. Please help us to rejoice in you whatever our circumstances. Please become our salvation. Please help us to draw on those resources. Please, dear Lord, make us our feet like those hinds feet. And oh dear God, please find among us as the people of God within the country, those with whom you can share your heart and reveal your purposes so that there may be a witness to the Lord and to the gospel in our day, we pray. Do it for your name's sake. We don't deserve it, Lord, but we're looking to you to accomplish all these things so that you may get the glory and we will give you all the glory. Blessed be your name. Amen.